Virginia and Virginia Tech won't meet this weekend, the latest game postponed due to COVID. Still, there's plenty of ACC football to talk about and an ACC idea to expand the NCAA basketball tournament to include everyone. All that and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 20 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you? Good morning, Mike. I'm well, and hope you and yours are doing the same. We are. We are starting to get the groove of virtual learning. I, I think uh, <laughs> Kiddo had her best morning uh, of not only answering questions and doing her schoolwork, but navigating different Zoom meeting rooms. So that was uh, a big step, I think. Absolutely, a huge step. We had we had a couple of glitches. Even the even the teacher yesterday got bumped off of Canvas and had to log back in. And I could hear her telling the students, "Now, don't you log out, but I have to log out." I was like, oh my gosh! It is an interesting, interesting path they're having to kind of forge through here right now. Now. Before we get into it, and I mentioned it in the intro, uh, you know what didn't work out, what's not happening this coming weekend. Um, that's going to be a big chunk of today's show. But let's chat it up a little bit about some stuff that did happen. And David, I spent the weekend and I watched a lot of college football, a lot of NFL, some tennis. Uh, I really let let myself, or I, I should say, my my wife let me indulge <laughs> in kind of a full scale return of sports to my television. I, I sat with my dog and watched Notre Dame and Duke, Georgia Tech and Florida State. I, I sat with the baby and watched the Redskins come back. Uh, I sat with the Redskins. Of- whoa, 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 whoa. Come on now. You got to get with the name change, <laughs> brother. It's going to take me more more than one season, <laughs> I think, to come around to the Washington football team. Uh, so, yeah, I even watched some U.S. Open and, and what a wild final and and bizarre scene too that was uh how about you did you get to uh enjoy some of that yeah i think we saw portions of of all those events you referenced mike i i also took in a good bit of clemson and wake forest just because i find that offense so much fun to watch and trevor lawrence and travis Etienne and company did not disappoint for what the two and a half quarters I guess they played <laughs> down in Winston Salem on Saturday, but Georgia Tech at Florida State with a surprising result. Maybe Duke a little more competitive in South Bend than than folks would have imagined. Yeah, we'll get into into all of that later in the show, and um, yeah, you know Dean. Hoffmeyer, our venerable producer, and I were chatting before we started the podcast today. And, you know, with all these teams that maybe look not quite ready or, or a little bit off or missing some people, Clemson looked like Clemson. And uh, that's got to be alarming to the rest of the ACC. Yeah, if not the rest of the country. Absolutely. Now, we spent a lot of time on last week's show in every topic acknowledging that it might be difficult to, to make it all the way through this college football season. And then, David, sure enough, we got the news Friday night, confirmed Saturday morning that UVA, Virginia Tech, that game was going to be postponed due to COVID positives and contact tracing issues in Blacksburg. I've had a source tell me there were more than 50 players that were unavailable uh, at one point because of that. 
there's a ton to unpack here, but but let's start with the information, right? On Friday, Tech informs the ACC and UVA they would not be able to field a competitive team on September 19th, and the game needed to be postponed. Justin Fuente told us this week it simply came down to it wasn't going to be safe to play with that few players. Setting aside the emotions on both sides, and it's such an emotional issue and it's wrapped up in everything else going on right now. David, postponing the game, was that the right call? Absolutely. I don't think there's any question that we have to trust Virginia Tech and its medical staff led by uh, Mark Rogers. And at, at the end of the day, they submitted the information to UVA and the ACC and Commissioner John Swafford, who has the final say on whether contests will be postponed and then rescheduled, agreed. And none of us who were paying attention and listening to Justin Fuente over the past two weeks were really surprised here. I mean, clearly the Hokies had some virus issues, much like the rest of Southwestern Virginia. I mean, this is a community-wide issue. Even the public schools there in Montgomery County, where Blacksburg is located, have shut down for two weeks. Yeah, it's easy to get caught up sometimes, I think, in, you know, as a fan, and now your team's game is postponed. How do you feel about that? But let's step back and look at the big picture. You're absolutely right about the community, the state, that the trend in general. We've heard Bronco Mendenhall speak about that so many times. Justin Fuente addressed it. But just think about this. If you're Virginia Tech, you were going to open with NC State, and they went through the same thing. So it's mm-hmm. <laughs> this is just something that um, – and excuse the pun or, or whatever you'd call it here, but it, this is going around, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, you know, and it, it's spreading. And um, teams are going to have to deal with this. And I, and I thought that um, – I thought that Virginia Tech came out and said the right things, um, but there's been an issue here for Tech in that they haven't been as transparent with their testing data. Now, they pin that on the school's attorneys, their interpretation of FERPA, the, the federal privacy law. Um, other schools within the Commonwealth of Virginia, other state institutions don't interpret it that way. Uh, you add that to the Caleb Farley essay, and, and we don't need to go back and fully relitigate that, but... Caleb Farley wrote essentially that he was uncomfortable with the way uh, tech was operating. He didn't think the protocols made him feel safe, at least, um, while he was there. And it's one of the reasons he opted out for this season. All of that put together. Is this a bad look for Virginia Tech? I don't believe so. Simply for, for two reasons, Mike. You can interpret Farley and all that any way you wish, depending on which color glasses you wear. But his objections were how long ago? I mean, this this particular spike in the virus has nothing to do with what Caleb Farley was talking about, because back then, Virginia Tech's numbers were fine. They had full participation in workouts and such. And now that students have returned to campus, did on August 24th for the start of in-person learning, that's when the spike, as at North Carolina State, as at North Carolina, as at Notre Dame, as at Clemson, that's when this occurred. Now, the, the lack of transparency, 
Do we know how many players they were missing? You know, you, you and I both have people telling us it was several dozen. That may be right, but NC State didn't tell us how many folks they didn't have either. So, you know, fans and coaches can get into it on Twitter. Fine, that's the way rivalries work. I don't think it's a bad look for anyone because this is the way of the world right now if you want to try to conduct sports in a pandemic. Tulsa, Brigham Young, Louisiana Tech, Rice, North Carolina State, Virginia Tech. Those are just among the schools, TCU, that have had to reschedule events because they've had infection issues and and subsequent contact tracing. Yeah, I think it's really important when you, and I, again, I, I understand the emotion of fans. I understand the emotion of players, of coaches. I understand how much is wrapped in this, but it's important when we talk about this, that while Virginia Tech, I don't think has been particularly transparent and forthcoming, I don't think Justin Fuente in particular has ever been dishonest. No. And Justin said to us pretty frankly, and, and I'll read his quote here, We've been really, really good all summer long and all through fall camp. I can tell you that much. We were knocking it out of the park. He doesn't say that if that's not true. He doesn't stick that in if that's not the case. So understanding the frustration and understanding that we'd like more data, uh, I'm inclined to take Justin Fonte at his word that his program was following the protocols. They were having success. They were in line to play. The students came back. The science will tell you <laughs> the numbers go up. The numbers went up in his program to a point that was untenable and, and, as he said, unsafe to play. And that's why the game is postponed. And to me, I don't have a problem with anything that Justin Fuente or Virginia Tech football uh, was doing. I think this is just the point we get to because of the coronavirus. Absolutely. And, Mike, I, I thought back the other day as we were – going through this on Friday night and you and I were texting back and forth. What have you heard? What have I heard? And then of course, Saturday morning, the announcement comes. I go back to early July and I was on a zoom with the chief medical advisor for Wake Forest athletics, a gentleman named Murphy Grant. And he said flat out that this virus is now, these are my words, so indiscriminate And the virus is so contagious that one misstep by one person could shut a team down. That's all it takes. I thought of everything we've done and written and reported and repeated, I thought that was the single most important piece of reporting that that came out of the media uh, during the, the, you know, early time of this, that that statement uh, that you reported was, it was so strong and so compelling to me. And it was the kind of one you put on a sticky note and, and stick on your desk because it counted then it counts now. And it's going to count in November, December, January. It, it is a, I hate to say house of cards, but it does feel that way that mm-hmm. it doesn't take much to topple the whole thing. And, and that, Kind of, kind of leads into my next point or question here. Was this, you know, the question? It, was this a hiccup, or was this kind of the death bell for the season? Uh, I asked Virginia Tech athletic director Wood Babcock if he's losing faith that a 2020 football season can be played. Here's what he said: We can still do it, and I just asked them if they could please to 
quote, stay on the treadmill a little bit longer and we'll get there. And, and I had their back and we were going to do everything possible to give them a chance to play uh, safely. You were scheduled to play NC State, scheduled to play UVA. That's two down out of two weeks. Are you losing any faith that this is uh, doable this fall? No, Mike, and that's not stubbornness or false bravado. We, we, we talked a lot in the league about a flexible schedule. I hope we're the only school to have to go through it, but I wouldn't bet against it. And um, we built in some open weeks, some flexibility. It is nice that our young people have the extra year of eligibility. Uh, but no, we, we realized our 13-week our window is getting pretty tight, but um, it seems like teams that have experienced this in the past that have gotten through it, uh, it levels off a little bit, and maybe we'll be off and running and stronger for it in October, November, and December. So David, is he right? If they stay on the treadmill, can they get this thing back on track? Can they come out the other side here and, and get to the finish line? Other sports and other schools Mike, would lead you to believe that the answer is yes. I asked Manny Diaz about this yesterday, whether he had much empathy for Justin Fuente and Dave Dorn, his conference colleagues who have had to call upcoming op- an upcoming opponent and say, eh, we're not going to be able to, to make it because we have an issue. And he said, absolutely. And he said, we've lived it down here in South Florida with the Miami Marlins baseball team. And they basically had to shut it down for a week. And so too did the St. Louis Cardinals, but they've got it ramped back up and have been able to subsequently play. And at North Carolina and NC state, they appear to have recovered from the spikes that they experienced, so too Clemson. So I I believe that what brief history we have would indicate that Babcock is right. I sure hope he is. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, if nothing else, we're rooting for him to be right because that gets us where we want to get to. But it also, what you just said and, and what his point is, brings up something that's a little scary considering we cover two programs, two ACC programs here in the Commonwealth. David, does that imply then that Virginia still has uh, its spike to deal with? It's still got its blip or wave or hiccup or whatever cute cliche you want to use there. Is that still coming for UVA? I sure hope not. Um, Today is Tuesday the 15th when we're recording this. Virginia began in-person learning a week ago today. And what we've seen at other schools, that means the wave is soon to follow. You know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I sure hope not. But Bronco Mendenhall, he, he uses the word fortress instead of bubble, which, which I love. <laughs> but the Cavaliers have been staying in one door, yeah. only them. Well, that's not the case anymore. Now they're out. They're in their own residences, off campus, on campus, roommates. How is that all going to work? And yeah, it is. You you just don't know. And even, Mike, even if you're careful, you can still, it, it can happen to you. I know some, I know some people who have been uber careful on this and have still contracted the virus. 
it's it's just so random yeah it's it's the chilling and terrifying part of it you know nationally health wise and then when you're thinking about this specific you know and it's why we say hey i don't know if anybody at virginia tech did anything wrong and and it's unfair to jump to that conclusion and if uva gets a spike it's going to be unfair at that point to to Mm -hmm. assume that somebody did something wrong and uh all you can do if you're any of these programs is, it sounds cliche, do your best, right? Mm-hmm. You follow the protocols, you stick to it as tightly as you can, you bundle up, you hope you make it through, and we certainly hope that. And that brings us to this week's Take It or Leave It. Thanks, Mike. It is Take It or Leave It, and this week uh, we're looking into the future again. So we're four months away from a possible ACC football championship game in Charlotte. Now, the ACC is going to make it all the way to that finish line this fall. Take it or leave it, David. Dean, four months feels like 40 years from now. Like I'll be in the retirement home by the time December gets here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really, I have a hard time thinking about four days from now, let alone four weeks, four months. Oh, man, I'll take a flyer and say enough teams can get enough games played that they'll figure out a way to have two of them in Charlotte on December 19 for a championship game. Well, Mike. Yeah, you know, I I have the same line of thought as David, which is basically that the real answer should be, I'll leave it, that it's not yeah. really going to happen in the vision of what we think. But I think they're going to be stubborn. I think they're going to be bullheaded. And I think they'll pull through just enough to stage some kind of championship game. Now, I will give the ACC and the teams a lot of credit for this. It, it wasn't talked about enough when they switched to that all-conference schedule. Um, 10 plus 1, right? 10 conference games. I think in the back of their mind, they were thinking, we need 7 or 8 conference games to make this legit, to make this season count, to be able to stage a championship game. And if we want seven or eight conference games, well, we better have 10 or 11 on the schedule. So I think that's part of why they went 10 ACC games to say, hey, if you lose a couple, we still have something in the end that kind of looks a little bit sort of like a college football season. So I'm, I'm going to take it. I think they're going to find a way to navigate through. Agreed. And I think, Mike, that's why you saw the uh, the the so-called qualifications for the championship game. You know, it's not based on simply did you get all your games? It's winning percentage. And so you may be eight and one. The other guy may be nine and one. Mm, Sorry. You didn't get that other game in. Nine and one is better than eight and one. So it, it, it could get very interesting there at the end. Yeah, it's going to be maybe even dicey. Um, but I, I'm okay at the end of, and again, we don't assign blame if it doesn't work out for teams. But I think there's a, a measure of reward, right? If you get through and you've played 10 or 11 games, You've done some things right. So um, I'm okay with there being a measure of reward in, in that case. Now, the teams we cover, the Hokies and the Hoos, 
they're still waiting to start their seasons. Both are going to open at home on September 26th. David, I think you'll be there when Virginia Tech hosts NC State at, at 8 o'clock. Uh, I'm planning to be at UVA when they host Duke uh, for a 4 o'clock game. We got to look at Duke <laughs> when they faced conference newcomer. You may have heard of them, Notre Dame, <laughs> this past weekend. That was one of seven games that included ACC teams. But let, let's start there. 17-13, the Blue Devils were down by just four, hanging around, going into the fourth quarter. Uh you know, ends up being a, a fairly comfortable Notre Dame victory. But what did you take away from this one? Mike, David Cutcliffe has said throughout the preseason that he believes this could be perhaps the best defense he has had in his time in Durham. And for a whole lot of Saturday, it sure looked like it. And to, to see um, Mark Gilbert, the uh, off-injured but very talented defensive back uh, returning to, to competition. I think that really helped them on the back end. Median Book looked pretty average for much of the day. Granted, now Book, the Notre Dame quarterback, is dealing with a whole new set of, of wideouts as compared to, to last season. But I, I was impressed with Duke defensively. They didn't get a whole lot done offensively. Chase Bryce had his moments, but that's a pretty stout Notre Dame group he was going up against. Yeah, I think with Cutcliffe there and, and Bryce at quarterback, you you figure Duke's got a better chance to figure it out on offense. So the fact that their defense looks the way it looks, um, really encouraging sign and, and probably the, the first thing that jumped out, I imagine, to UVA coaches since uh, – that was moved to be their opener. On the Notre Dame side, I, I did not know as much about Kieran Williams, the running back, yeah. uh, as maybe I should have. Um, I know about him now. <laughs> 112 yeah. rushing yards, a pair of touchdowns, 93 more yards receiving. Uh, is he as good as, as he looked? Well, now, that offensive line mm -hmm. in South Bend may be among the nation's best, if not the best. So they'll make him look good. But, wow, he, he was very impressive. And how long was the one catch? 60-some yards, mm -hmm. maybe. So to have that explosive ability both as a receiver and running the football is a really nice combination, much like ETN at Clemson. So that's, that's going to be a nice safety net for Ian Book as, as they go through the season. Now, if Notre Dame and Duke – both came away feeling pretty good about themselves, right? Even a defeat, I, I think Duke took away a lot of good things. I don't know that you can say the same about the combatants in the Florida State-Georgia Tech affair. Um, I, I came away thinking, man, th those teams might struggle this year. David, what was your takeaway from, from that competitive uh, but maybe not beautiful football game? Well, first of all, if I'm a Florida State fan and I start to think – we had a commitment from this kid named Sam Howell. <laughs> Where's he? Hell yeah, he's a Carolina. They flipped him. And we had a commitment from another quarterback named Sims, Jeff Sims. <laughs> Where did he end up? Oh, yeah, Georgia Tech. And he just beat us on our field on opening day. Man, we got to do a better job of keeping quarterback commits. <laughs> and, and, oh, by the way, for what seems like the umpteenth season in a row, 
Seminole's got to block somebody up front. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Mike Norvell, the, the the new coach who came over from from Memphis to r- replace Willie Taggart. I mean, he is a big time offensive coach. You know, in four seasons at Memphis, replacing Justin Fuente, by the way, this is a testament to some of the talent that Fuente left behind in, in Memphis when, when he went to Virginia Tech. But in Norvell's four seasons with Memphis, they were top 15 in the country every year in scoring. And the only other two schools that were top 15 all four years were Ohio State and Oklahoma. So that's pretty darn good company. So that guy can coach a little offense. But he can't coach plays or can't draw up plays to overcome bad blocking. And that's what he had on Saturday. Yeah, somebody who didn't have bad blocking, didn't have bad running, didn't have bad quarterback play, didn't have trouble on defense, Clemson. And we hit it earlier, David. Boy, for all the things that feel a little bit off and a little behind schedule and a little different, the Clemson Tigers looked a sure whole lot like the Clemson Tigers. They did. And maybe not as as skilled and acrobatic at wide receiver as we saw in person in the ACC championship game last December against Virginia. But yeah, they are they are loaded. That game was never in doubt from the opening series. And um, Dabo Sweeney just keeps it rolling and Brent Venables on the defensive side. I know they lost Jeff Scott, their co-offensive coordinator. He went on to South Florida to become the big whistle there. But Tony Elliott, the the other co-coordinator, is back there at Clemson Calm Plays. They're really good, and that's a very experienced staff. They're experienced at working together. They recruit lights out. They coach the same way. going to be really hard to beat. Yeah, you know, we talk so much in the media about culture and coaches talk about culture and, um, you know, when does it matter? When does it not matter? But I think in a time like this, the culture that they've built at Clemson, the leadership they have, uh, what's passed on from one class to the next, um, that helps you get through times like this. And, you know, for a Saturday, at least um, a pretty fun to watch Saturday night, it looks like Clemson's coming through things uh, in excellent shape. Now, Let's turn our attention to this coming weekend because we got some more football. Great to say. <laughs> uh, what, what are we looking for? I, I personally, I'm interested to see Boston College under this new coaching staff. They got some new pieces to work with. Um, David, is that an intriguing, intriguing team at all to you? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Just because we don't know much about Jeff Halfley. He comes from Ohio State. Never been a head coach before. Breaking in, most likely, a new quarterback and Phil Jerkovic, the graduate or not graduate, but the transfer from Notre Dame who received immediate eligibility opening uh, with, with, with a conference game against Duke that we, we've already talked about. So yeah, intrigued by that in Miami Louisville is, is, is the headliner game day will be there. It will, will be in prime time. Louisville did not have much trouble with, Western Kentucky the other night. You've got two really dynamic quarterbacks in De'Ara King at Miami and Mikhail Cunningham at Louisville. 
King has this remarkable streak. It's it's kind of random, Mike, but 15 consecutive games with at least one touchdown pass and one rushing touchdown. Obviously, that goes back to his time at Houston. But that's an NCAA record and ju- just speaks to his versatility. Yeah, and his consistency, which, you know, that's the thing when you have a player at that position that so much of your offense relies on, he better be there every Saturday. And and so far through his career, King's been that been that guy. That should be a good one. David, you mentioned game day, and that just reminds me that Whit Babcock sort of <laughs> inadvertently twisted the knife a little during his press availability when he said he had been in contact with ESPN. They were interested in UVA, Virginia Tech, being the site of game day, uh, and he kind of advised them, "Hey, we got some things going on here. You might want to yeah. pump the brakes." But man, you know, if you're if you're a tech fan, it was just one more thing that almost came your way on what would have been a really special weekend. Yeah, um, almost, and it would have been obviously a very different game day as as we saw Saturday in in Winston Salem, where they just plopped them down in the middle of an empty stadium and had some virtual fans and such. And Lee Corso wasn't even on set. He was missed. They brought him in via video conferencing from, from his home down in Florida. So it's, yeah, that's the way it's going to be for game day. And, but uh, certainly a missed opportunity for, for Virginia tech. I don't know if they would have chosen Blacksburg or no, um, but it, it would have been an added uh, element to, the Commonwealth Cup. Yeah, that, that game won't be happening, but there are plenty of games this weekend, and that brings us to who you got. Thanks, Mike. So who you got? There are four ACC conference games this weekend on the slate. I need you to pick one surefire ironclad winner from that group. Who you got? Mike. Yeah, we talked about Duke and, and how they looked against Notre Dame. Um, they impressed me. Again, the offensive questions with Cutcliffe on the staff there, I think that um, that's not something I'm concerned about long term. But the biggest thing for me is, hey, Duke's played a game. Boston College hasn't. I think in the early month here of the season, that's going to be a huge separator. I think having been there, done it, gone through what are unusual times and playing a football game is the biggest advantage you can get. So Duke playing at home, uh, you know, the early kick time, Boston College, new staff. I'm intrigued, like we said, to see what the Eagles have. But I think having a game under your belt makes me think that Duke uh, is not going to squander this opportunity. Okay, so Mike's got Duke. David, who you have? Pitt. Panthers at home against Syracuse. Syracuse's offense just looked abysmal in the 31-6 setback at Chapel Hill last week. Granted, Pitt's competition in FCS Austin P was minimal at best. It was a 55-0 final with running quarters, running 10-minute quarters, if I remember correctly, for the second half. But if the Orange can't score much against Carolina's defense, and I think the Panthers' defense is even better, I don't see Syracuse scoring much on Saturday and certainly not enough to win at Pitt. I think at last check, Pitt was a three-touchdown favorite, so uh, probably a smart place for you to throw your ironclad pick of the week. Uh, Now, 
Against all odds, and, and kind of sadly, the COVID outbreak isn't the only bad news coming out of Blacksburg. Uh, it's not all Virginia Tech is dealing with this this week. Devin Hunter, former four-star prospect, expected to be the starter at strong safety. He was going to take over for Reggie Floyd. He was arrested Sunday. He was charged with assault, a strangulation. It apparently involves a, a family member somewhere in the incident. Uh, he remains in jail. He's suspended indefinitely. David, before we talk about the on-field impact. This is a guy that Justin Fuente absolutely raved about in the offseason. At one point he said, and, and I'll read his quote here, there are guys that you just see them every day working and trying to lead and do the right thing, and you just want them to have success so bad. And that's how I feel about Devin right now. He's just been a great leader. He has great work ethic, a great attitude, and has really come along to be a guy that people look up to in the locker room. Well, now they don't have that guy because he's suspended. David, what do you what do you make of this? Well, first of all, Mike, because one of the charges against Hunter is a felony, this suspension is mandatory by Virginia Tech policy. When an athlete faces a, a felony charge, he or she is suspended until there is some kind of judicial resolution. So in, in that regard, neither Fuente nor A.D. Whit Babcock had any choice here. This is strict school policy. But as you said, you know, Justin Fuente was clearly stung by this and stunned. You know, we asked him yesterday, I think it was Norm Wood, our, our daily press friend, who asked him, given what you have said about Devin you know, did this come as a surprise? And just very somberly, Fuente said, yes. And that was all he said. So you, you just, coaches often say, Mike, you're only one late night phone call away. Yeah. And I'm sure that's how this went down. Yeah, I remember a, a Division three basketball coach I covered at the start of my career. Um, and he said that when the phone rings, uh, after midnight, the first thing he thinks about is where are his kids, <laughs> and the second thing he thinks about is where are his players, because uh, yeah. it's rarely rarely good news. And uh, how about on the field, David? This is a, a secondary that we both thought uh, could be really, really excellent. I think still think can be pretty good this year. They've already lost Caleb Farley. We talked about him. He, he opted out. Uh, potential first round draft pick as a cornerback. Now Hunter, uh, a guy four-star prospect, a guy they've been waiting to kind of emerge. There's no clear-cut replacement for him at the position. Uh, how big is this loss? Really big. I mean, the, the guys we mentioned with Fuente yesterday were what? Tyree Rogers, J.R. Walker, and a true freshman, Keonta Jenkins. Yeah. Is, you know, there's not a lot of proven talent there. Unfortunately, they've got divine diablo at, at the other safety spot and he'll be able to help the help the newcomer navigate it all but no this is especially on top of farley this is a big hit to that defensive backfield and oh by the way another challenge for new coordinator justin hamilton yeah, that's the part of this that I think stood out the most to me. I, I was speaking about this on the television yesterday that you look at Hamilton and you think about the job and 
you said, I think we both felt good about Justin Hamilton. Like this is this is a guy who's up to the challenge, who can get this done. Then you take away spring ball and you start thinking like, man, that is a tough way to launch in. You want to put your plans in place. You want to get your, your hands in there. You want to get rolling. And now you don't have spring ball. And now you get here and you've had all these delays. You've had practices disrupted by guys being out. You don't have two of the key pieces in your secondary you thought to have. Justin Hamilton, I think he still has a chance to hit the ground running, but man, it has been a little bit of a bumpy start through no fault of his own here. Correct. And he he coaches the safeties. <laughs> I mean, this is his position group that all of a sudden is is down a guy and a projected starter. So uh, I'm not sure that uh, Virginia Tech wants to pay his overtime bill this month because he is he's working more than 40. We can rest assured on that. <laughs> no doubt. Now, David, our focus has been, un- understandably, here of late, uh, on football. Uh, football coming back, football on the field. Will they, won't they play? Uh but there's another major question mark kind of looming this winter. Will COVID-19 still be impacting college sports when basketball season begins? At this point, I think for me, it's kind of hard to imagine that it wouldn't be, right? Yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> the risk of sounding like a commercial for a, a, a cold medicine. You know, <laughs> we're, we're about to hit the cold and flu season, Mike, and I don't mean to be glib. That's, oh. that, that, that's wrong. But that's what all the experts have told us is going to be a problem moving forward with the coronavirus is it's going to get worse as the temperatures get colder. And yeah, and already it's, it's impacted college basketball. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday. Tomorrow, the NCAA Division I Council <clears throat> is expected to approve a late November start. I believe it's the 21st for the college football or the college basketball season, which would essentially be an 11 day delay from the original intent. So, what that does to non conference schedules, we don't know. There's already talk, John Rothstein of, of CBS reporting that. Perhaps the Maui Invitational could be played in Asheville, North Carolina. <laughs> the the battle for Atlantis, he reports, is already ticketed ticketed for South Dakota. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. You signed up for a multi-team event in the Bahamas in, in late fall, early winter. Mm, sorry, you're going to South Dakota. Yeah, our, our friend Danielle Lerner took a job covering Memphis basketball, and certainly one of the perks she thought when she signed on was uh, that trip, and I, I hope she didn't pack too far in advance because you're going to need different clothing in South Dakota. Now, with all that in mind, the ACC basketball coaches, they got together and they proposed a plan to allow every Division One school into the NCAA tournament, all-inclusive March Madness. David, I thought it was kind of nuts, kind of silly. Apparently, the NCA basically did too, saying it's it's not being considered at this point. But these are smart basketball minds, right? These are these are people who know who pitched this idea. So let's kick the tires, David. You're a smart basketball guy. What do you think? Well, from the start, as as, as soon as I heard it, I thought, okay, this is untenable, and I think they know it. So why why propose this? 
Well, first, they look very magnanimous in doing so because they want to do what's best for the athletes in a very trying time. The tournament wasn't played last season. What about all those teams that would have qualified last year? And we'd like to get them involved regardless so they could have their, quote, one shining moment. I get all that. And I think another part of this, and perhaps even more understandable, is that college basketball coaches, ever since March 12th, when this was all shut down and everything got canceled, they have heard nothing but football talk. That's it. Can we get football played? Football is the economic engine. we got to get football. And I think a part of it was they wanted to raise their hands and say, hey, what about us? You know, we do produce a billion dollar plus television contract with CBS and Turner for March Madness. We are important. We do generate about 90% of the NCAA's budget, not athletic department budgets. That's still a football thing. But the NCAA budget is entirely driven by March Madness. And I think this was Mike Krzyzewski kind of leading the ACC coaches in saying, look, we matter. Pay attention. You cannot afford another year without the NCAA tournament. And he's absolutely right about that. But the the logistics of this were going to be impossible. You, you were going to go from a 67-game tournament to a, a tournament of like 345 games. That exposes far more people <laughs> to the virus. And oh, by the way, what about women's basketball? Do yeah. you think they were going to do this for the men and not the women? No, that wasn't going to fly either. So f- from the start, this seemed completely unrealistic. I agree. I, I would say this. I think there's an idea in there that's important because everybody did lose so much. And I, again, it's a logistical issue and you have to, I would like to see every division one team included in their conference tournament this sure. year. Some conferences don't do that. They take, you know, the top 10, the top 12, whatever it may be. I, I would love to see the coaches band together and say, Hey, this year, everybody gets a shot in the postseason, and that shot comes in your conference tournament. You know, really, that's the way the whole thing was designed, and then the leagues got too big, and and the calendar got moved around, and, and that became hard to do. But I'd love to see every Division One team get to at least play in their conference tournament because, really, that's the opening round games of the NCAA. If you can navigate through that, uh, you're in. So I'd love to see that. The ironic thing for me in this and I, again, we've got a lot of time to go and we don't want to be doom and gloom early on on something we don't have to. But in my mind, I am anticipating a smaller field in the NCAA tournament. I am envisioning um, a bubble scenario, um, maybe a couple of venues, maybe over a smaller number of weekends to make sure it gets played, to make sure there isn't an interruption within that bubble. Um, so while I love the idea of everybody gets a shot and everybody in, I think the reality, David, may end up being a smaller field for the tournament. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. And God bless 
the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. <laughs> because if you think that job is hard picking 68, and if you think they get criticized for those last few picks, just wait until you see the uproar, number one, if the field is smaller, and number two, which I think also is very, very possible, almost all conference seasons, if if the non-conference season is limited, that takes away so many data points, so many comparison opportunities to be able to evaluate teams from different leagues. It's going to make selecting the field so, so difficult. Yeah. When we get to that point, kind of close your eyes and imagine those blind resumes they put up. Now take off, (laughs) what, 40, 50% of the information on those resumes. It's got a chance to be interesting. I hope we get to that point where we're having that conversation. Well, David, there's, there's no question about your resume uh, it, it is outstanding and you've always been easy to work with. So this was another fun one to put in the books. That's the show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts. Just find the RTD podcast channel and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.